Well, good morning. <laughs> it is a wonderful day. I just absolutely love the break of not having some rain today. Uh, it's just that beautiful sunshine that's coming. And let's stand and praise the God that created the sun and created the rain and gave us these beautiful days that we can just baste in his glory. Bask in his glory? One of those words. Anyway, enjoy, and thank you for singing with us.
amen to that. Proverbs 2, 6 tells us, The Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Let's pray together. Father, we're so, so thankful that we can re receive wisdom and understanding from you, and today we understand who you are and who we are. And Father, we're here to celebrate Jesus in our life, and because of him we're alive in you. Father, as we're here today, I pray that we can just lift up our hearts to you, that we can engage our minds with you, and Lord, that we can just knit our souls with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. The weather's nice, and we're glad that you're here to worship with us today. We're here to lift up Jesus. Amen? Amen. And we're going to do that together this morning. Please make sure you fill out your connection card for us. If you're watching us online, we ask that you do the same for us so that we can keep in contact with you. And at this time, the praise team is going to continue to lead us in song this morning. Change the way I belong 
Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I absolutely love these verses, especially since we moved here, and I get to see these mountains every day. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's got it. Romans 5.15 says, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many.
Well, today we're going to embark on a four-week series that delves into the challenging topic of trusting God when he seems to be silent, when it seems like he's distant. In our journey, we're going to draw inspiration from the book of Habakkuk. Yeah, there's a book called Habakkuk. It's in the Old Testament near the end. And Habakkuk was one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament, and he wrestled with questions and objections that we still face today. And I just love this book because it's so apropos for today. It just really fits in with our, with our society and where we are today. 
Today, we're going, or over the next few weeks, we're going to explore the depths of Habakkuk's struggles and seek answers to questions such as, where is God in the face of injustice? Why do wickedness and suffering persist? And how can we maintain a trust in our God when our hearts and eyes receive conflicting realities? In other words, we know God, but yet we see the world around us. And how do we reconcile that? Habakkuk was one of the Old Testament prophets, and his name meant to embrace or to wrestle. While not not a lot is known about the prophet himself or his background, the book of Habakkuk provides valuable insights into his life and into his ministry. Habakkuk prophesied during the tumultuous time in the nation of Israel in the history of Judah around 625 B.C., And during this period, the nation was facing moral and spiritual decline. And thankfully, we don't deal with that today. But there was injustice, violence, idolatry, social unrest. All these things were prevalent. Doesn't it sound familiar? It sounds just like what we're dealing with today. And what these things, when these things were happening, it was causing Habakkuk to question God's apparent silence and seemingly lack of judge uh, lack of the absence of judgment so he sees all this going around he's saying god why are you silent god why aren't you doing something about this he witnessed the iniquities of his society and he longed for god to step in and do something because habakkuk was a righteous guy and he just what he saw and what he knew about god just they they were in conflict with each other habakkuk's message is very distinctive among the prophetic books because it takes a form of a dialogue between the prophet and God. Habakkuk raises concerns and questions to the Lord. He was articulating his frustrations, but yet he was seeking understanding. Habakkuk learns profound truths about God's justice, his character, and his faithfulness through this conversation that we get to read in the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk is divided into three chapters, each representing a different conversation or lamentation that he's laying out before God. Now, the prophet's journey unfolds as he moves from frustration and doubt to a place of trust and surrender. Habakkuk's Habakkuk's experience is a powerful reminder that it is possible to maintain faith and hope even amid uncertainty and turmoil. Hence the title of our message, Big Questions, Big God. Habakkuk's unwavering pursuit of truth and his willingness to engage in a dialogue with the Lord offers valuable lessons for for those who follow Jesus, encouraging us, and we sing a song about this, about bringing our doubts, our fears, our questions to the Lord, and to find solace in his unfailing love and sovereignty. The big idea for the four-week series is very simple. This four-week series is going to guide us and navigate us through the tensions between our faith and the world that we observe and live in. It will help us to find solace, hope, and a renewed trust in God's sovereignty, even when his ways appear perplexing, to say the least. Drawing from Habakkuk's experiences, we'll learn to embrace the mysteries of God's timing and his purposes as we seek to align our hearts with his plan. Many times we want his plan to to follow our hearts. Through this series, I hope that we will be able to discover to trust God amidst silence and distance, knowing that he is ever-present and working in ways that we cannot fully comprehend. The big idea for this particular message is quite simply this. God is big enough for our questions and our objections, 
And he invites us to bring them to him in a dialogue and to trust him and to trust that he's not going to flame us or hate us because we're struggling in certain areas. So we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 1. We'll begin with verses 1 through 4, and it says this. This is the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. How long, Lord, must I cry for help? But you don't listen. I call out to you violence, but you do not deliver. Why do you force me to witness injustice? Why do you put up with the wrongdoing? Destruction and violence confront me. Conflict is present, and one must endure strife. For this reason, the law lacks power, and justice is never carried out. Indeed, the wicked intimidate the innocent. For this reason, justice is perverted. So as we open up this letter, the first thing you see is just this letter, this first part is just dripping with frustration. You can just feel it as Habakkuk is writing this. And in this first verse where we are uh, introduced to Habakkuk, he's one of God's prophets. And as I said before, his name literally means he that embraces or a wrestler. Now in wrestling, what you're trying to do is you're trying to impose your will on another person. And so this is what precisely Habakkuk is saying about God in verses two through four, where he says, God, don't you see what's happening? If you do, to see what's going, if you do see what's going on, why aren't you doing anything about it? And so what Habakkuk is trying to do is challenge God, impose your will in this situation. You're a holy God, but yet this garbage is going on. And let's be honest, how many of us have asked the same question? And if you haven't asked that question, you're not thinking. Because we have this conflict of who God is and the reality of what we're living in and what we're dealing with today. Habakkuk is beginning this lamentation by expressing a deep frustration to the Lord. He is just frustrated, like, like, God, why do I have to see this? I'm out there proclaiming your message, and it seems like it's doing no good. And, and I can understand how he feels that way at times. He sees injustice, violence, and evil prevailing in his society, and he can no longer bear the burden. It's just getting to be too much for him. Just like Habakkuk, though, we find ourselves surrounded by the brokenness of our world. We see it all around us. And it's very difficult sometimes to stomach when we see some of the things that we see. When we see what happens with other people, what we even, you know, I, I volunteer at the animal shelter if you didn't know that. Uh, what you see sometimes with the animals and, and for some cats and dogs, uh, if people would just adopt them, it'd be great. But anyway, um, I won't mention any names. But we're living in this world, <laughs> inside joke, uh, where we find ourselves surrounded by this. We see the suffering. We see the iniquity. We see the unanswered questions. And these things can shake our faith because it's like, God, if we cry out to God, how long must we endure this? When are you going to do something about it? In these moments of frustration, one of the things that we need to do is we must remember that we can turn to God and seek his guidance. The message of Habakkuk is still relevant for us today because there are basically 12 questions that people have about God about why they won't believe him, how it makes it difficult for them to follow him. And 95% of questions that people ask of God fall into the realm of these 12. And one of these days I'll do a 12-week series on that. But what people are struggling with today, when they struggle with the existence or belief in God, is here's the question. And you've probably heard it or maybe said it. If God is a loving God, then why... And in this instance, 
God, if you're a loving God, why are you allowing injustice and suffering? And I've actually had people ask me that question. In his lamentation, Habakkuk lays out his argument and his complaint before the Lord. He questions why God would allow him to witness such rampant injustice and why evil just seems to be winning. The people of Israel had turned from God. They had turned away from God. They were indulging in wickedness and straying from his ways. And I always find this interesting coming from the nation of Israel because when you look at their history and their background, you think, man, this is one nation that would never stray away from God. I mean, you look at their history, it's amazing. And the interactions they had with God, other people could only dream of. But yet, our humanity sometimes gets in the way. As a faithful prophet proclaiming God's truth, Habakkuk was extremely disheartened by the lack of positive impact that his message was having on the people. And hence, this is when he's going to God with what we find in the book of Habakkuk. He observed that instead of being held accountable for their sins, for those who practice evil and injustices, sometimes they went unpunished, and even at times it looked like they were being rewarded. Habakkuk's frustration, and this is a key, stemmed from the contrast between his understanding of God's righteousness and the reality that he witnessed. In other words, he knew God, but he saw what he saw, and they were in conflict. And honestly, we struggle with the same issue today. He longed for justice to prevail and righteousness to be upheld, but the prevailing circumstances contradicted his beliefs. And many times what happens to people is when circumstances contradict your beliefs, we have a tendency sometimes to abandon our beliefs. Everybody knows Billy Graham, pretty much. Uh, Billy Graham, famous evangelist for years and years. Not a lot of people know who Charles Templeton was. <clears throat> Charles Templeton was a, was a contemporary of Billy Graham. He, was, he served a lot in Canada and the northern U.S., and he was a big deal. I mean, he was on fire. He had these revivals. But then he started questioning things that he saw around him. And eventually, those questions led him to leave the faith. And he later wrote books about why he left and everything. But I just find it so sad that because what he saw contradicted with what he believed, because we live in a real world, he couldn't take it, and so he left. And see, our God is a big God who can handle big questions. But the key to our big God handling those big questions is you've got to be ready for big answers. And many times what we do is we say, you know what, I've got a perception of how things should be. If they're not that way, therefore, I can't believe in God. When we're trying to impose our will on God, it'll never work. And you will walk away from your faith eventually because you're not grounded in Christ. And I just think of all the people that Mr. Templeton could have impacted for the Lord that never, it never happened because, well, God didn't line up with the way he thought things should be. And, and that's, it's very sad. Huh. In a state of confusion, Habakkuk is seeking answers from God. He's desiring to understand why God permitted such of a state of affairs. God, why aren't you doing something about this? But his experience resonates, resonates with us today as we grapple with evil and injustice in our world. You go to the mall and start talking to people about our world and talking about God, you're going to hear, well, if God's a loving God, why is this? How could God allow this and God allow that? Whenever there's a tragedy somewhere, why God allow this? Why is evil doing this? It's very common. We may question why God allows these things to persist and why our efforts to promote righteousness seem futile. I mean, in our society today, some of the stuff we're dealing with, five years ago even, I wouldn't have been dreaming that we're dealing with it. 
where we have to watch what we call somebody, a they, them, he, she, and people get all upset over it, and we've lost that there's male and female. Now there's like 1,500 things in between, and, the, and we just, it's just crazy. It's absolute craziness, folks. Common sense has left the building a long time ago. And then when you stand up for what's scientifically true, you get persecuted for it. And people say, well, we believe in science, except when it comes to when life begins and when it comes to DNA, then we all of a sudden don't believe it. It's just crazy, folks. In these moments, though, in the, all the craziness, we can find solace by turning to God, just as Habakkuk does. He was seeking wisdom. He was seeking guidance. He was trusting that, he was aware of our, that God was aware of our concerns and that he had a greater plan. This is what Habakkuk's doing. He said, dude, what's your plan? I need to know because this is driving me crazy. His frustration reached the boiling point to the point where he's willing to challenge God, expressing his deep yearning for God to demonstrate that his expectations of justice and righteousness were well-grounded. In other words, Habakkuk had these expectations. He wanted God to meet him. This is why he's doing what he's doing. Now, in his dialogue with the Lord, he boldly raises concerns and questions, seeking reassurance and understanding. But Habakkuk's willingness to question God is a testament in his passionate pursuit of truth, in his deep desire to see God's righteousness prevail. Habakkuk was digging deep because he really did want to line up with God's will. He just kind of wanted to know what it was. He wants God to vindicate God's name and intervene in the face of evil and injustice. Habakkuk's challenge to God is not driven by rebellion, nor is it but, or doubt, honestly. It's driven by an emotional plea for God to reveal his purposes and to bring justice into a world that seems to be spiraling into chaos. And once again, I'm thankful we're past those days. This aspect of Habakkuk's story is um, it's a reminder that it's acceptable to approach God with honest doubts and honest frustrations. But the key to that, in Mr. Templeton's case, when he did that, he wasn't willing to listen to the answers. They weren't the answers he wanted. So therefore, in a way, he took, his, he took God's place in saying, well, you're not real because you don't match up with what I want. Habakkuk could have easily fallen into that trap and said, God, this is baloney. I'll see you later. But he's really trying to understand. And what we need to understand, and this is a touch point for us, is that God desires a genuine relationship with us. And he invites us to bring our deepest concerns and our questions before him. He's a big God who's a big boy who can handle big questions. He won't shriek in fear. Amid our own challenges and uncertainties, we can find inspiration in Habakkuk's example, knowing that God welcomes our heartfelt inquiries and he's willing to reveal his truth to us. I was raised in a faith that said you don't question God, you don't question the priest. If it's, they say it, it was law. And see, I'm not built that way. I have questioned things my whole life. And I used to be afraid to question God until I realized, no, he welcomes them. You ever gotten into an, I say an argument, a discussion with somebody about a subject? And during that discussion, all of a sudden they start calling you names or some kind of a phobic or they call you a racist or some kind of ist. 
Well, to be honest with you folks, when those things start happening, you've kind of won the argument. You know why? They have nothing. They have nothing. They can't have a discussion with you because all they can do is come at you. Well, see, God has something. He's a big God who can handle your big questions, and it doesn't intimidate him. Sometimes people get fearful of asking questions because, or be asked questions because they don't know the answers. God knows the answers. And what we have to realize is this is part of a healthy relationship. Look, if you're in a marriage, for instance, and you can't talk to your spouse, that is not a healthy relationship. You have to be able to talk to your spouse about anything, even sometimes when it's hard, even sometimes when it might hurt some feelings. You should always put a little sugar on it when you're going to do that and say, hey, honey, I, I, I hate to share this with you, but I need to. I know this might hurt. I know you take this wrong, but I'm sharing this because I love you. And then the person needs to accept it. And it's hard, it's hard sometimes to hear, isn't it? It's hard to have somebody tell you something that's difficult. It's easy to get upset about it and frustrated. I've done that before, too. Don't ask my wife. But um, that's, it happens. But with God, God doesn't cry in the corner. God doesn't lash out in anger. When you have a good relationship with him, you should take anything to him and not fear him. Let's look at verses 5 through 11. It says this. Look at the nations, and this is God's response to verses 1 through 4. So God is telling Habakkuk, look at the nations and pay attention. You'll be shocked and amazed, for I will do something in your lifetime that you will not believe, even though you are forewarned. Look, I'm about to empower the Babylonians, that ruthless and greedy nation. They sweep across the surface of the earth, seizing dwelling places that do not belong to them. They are frightening and terrifying they decide for themselves what is right. Their horses are fast like, faster than leopards and more alert than wolves in the desert. Their horses gallop. Their horses come a great distance. Like a vulture, they swoop down and quickly devour their prey. All of them intend to do violence. Every face is determined. They take their prisoners as easily as one scoops up sand. They mock kings and laugh at rulers. They laugh at every fortified city. They build siege ramps and capture them. They sweep by like the wind and pass on. But the one who considers himself a god, small g, will be held guilty. Well, <laughs> Habakkuk has this discussion, and God has a solution. You ever heard the, story, the statement, be careful what you wish for, be careful what you ask for? Well, in response to Habakkuk's complaint, God answers gives an answer that reflects, I should say, the severity and justice that God is about to dole out. He assures Habakkuk that evil and injustice displayed by the Israelites have not gone unnoticed. God reveals that he is aware of their actions, and he's preparing to take corrective measures to discipline them. God's telling Habakkuk, I see what's going on. I know what's going on. I'm not blind. I'm not distant. In the commentary by Matthew Henry, he, he aptly captures the essence of God's response. Here's what Matthew Henry says in his commentary on this passage. He says, Despite God's patient and long-suffering nature, the Israelites have persisted in their unrepentant ways. Therefore, God determines that, the, that a different approach is necessary. The consequences of their action will not be evaded. The discipline they will face it will result from their choices. God's response in this passage reminds us of the importance of accountability and justice. His actions demonstrate that he, does, that he does pay attention to evil and injustice. While his timings, excuse me, his timing and methods 
may not align with our expectations, we can trust that God's justice is ultimately rooted in his perfect wisdom. As we reflect on this, fact, this aspect of Habakkuk's challenge to God and his dialogue with God, we are, deter- we are reminded that God's discipline is motivated by love and a desire for repentance. In other words, he's not going to just punish the nation. He's trying to discipline them. And any good parent, your job is not to punish your kids. It's to discipline them. And there's a huge difference. And that discipline should come from love and a desire for change. You know, some parents that don't understand this, they're punishing their kids all the time, and you're just going to mess your kid up. But when you discipline them, you've got the purpose. You're doing it because you love them, and you see the actions that they're doing need to change. And this is how God was with Israel. He loved Israel. Even when he's about ready to unleash this horror on them, he loves them. And he's trying to get them to say, oh, you know what, we need to change our ways. This isn't healthy for us. Sometimes it is through the experience of consequences of our actions that we are prompted to turn back to God and to seek his forgiveness. This is why he brings on the Babylonians. In our lives, when we witness injustice or experience consequences of wrongdoing, we can find solace in knowing that God's justice and wisdom will prevail. We can also take this time as an opportunity for self-reflection and repentance and a realignment to God's will. Now, just as a real brief history nerdy lesson, uh, in some of your Bible versions, you'll read that God said, I unleashed the Chaldeans. So what you have here is the Chaldeans, Neo-Babylonians, and Babylonians are all the same people. The Babylonian Empire took place, I think it was in in 1890 some BC till I think 15 or uh, 1548 it was a very long kingdom ever ever have you ever heard of Hammurabi's code for those of you who had that stuff in school youngsters you're going to have to look it up because they don't teach you all anything anymore but anyway um, that came from that first Babylonian empire he was one of the kings of that Babylonian empire the neo-Babylonian Babylonian empire the um, the um, Chaldean or the Babylonian empire was the second one took place in about 625 BC and I, my, my last date I just lost it I think it was 540 some BC when in the book of Daniel the Medes and the Persians under King Darius King Cyrus I should say came in and defeated that nation 549 thank you 39 okay yeah they all run into my head eventually my, my brain gets to be mushy as I get older and it's really hard to figure but anyway so when you, if your version says Chaldeans it's the same thing it's just a different word I like that the NET uses Babylonians a little easier to understand but anyway, brief history lesson for you all right let's look at verses 12 through 17 it says this this is Habakkuk responding back to God Lord you've been very active from ancient times my sovereign God you are immortal he's laying on the sugar here Lord, you have made them your instrument of judgment? Protector, you have appointed them as your instrument of punishment. You are too just to tolerate evil. Sorry. You are too just to tolerate evil. You are unable to condone wrongdoing. So why do you put up with such treacherous people? Why do you say nothing when the wicked devour those more righteous than they are? He's talking about the Babylonians. You made people like fish in the sea, like animals in the sea that have no ruler. The Babylonian tyrants pull them up with a fish hook. He hauls them in with his throw net. When he catches them in his dragnet, he's very happy. Because of his success, he offers sacrifices to his throw net, and he burns incense to his dragnet. For because of them, he has plenty of food, and he has more than enough to eat. Will he then continue to fill and fill his... 
Will he continue to fill and empty his throne net? Will he always destroy the nation and spare none? <laughs> so this leads to his response, which is really a dilemma. And once again, this is, be careful what you ask for. Because here's Habakkuk saying, man, I want this justice and inequity fixed. And we say the same thing today. Do you like to see evil flourish? Do you like to see the wicked seem to get over on everything? No, nobody likes to see that. Do you like to see your politicians take bribes and be able to just do whatever they want to do or to do injustice and to squander the nation's wealth and the nation's resources? I don't. And we're like, God, I'm like, God, do something. Do something. You put these people, you let these people in place, do something. But yet nothing seems to happen at times. In response to Habakkuk's cry, the Lord reveals his plan to bring justice and righteousness back to the land. And man, Habakkuk is really, really confused. God tells Habakkuk, yes, sir, I see what you see. I hear what you hear. I know what's going on. Nothing's hidden. However, the solution to the problem is not at all what Habakkuk wanted. The last thing he wanted was for God to bring in the Babylonians to dole out justice. These were a wicked, evil people. And by the way, the second Babylonian king, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, that, that was, he was part of that. So anyway, it gives you some context. But they were ruthless. And this revelation challenges Habakkuk's understanding of justice, and it raises a whole new set of questions. Because he's like, how can you use people who are worse than the one that need to be punished to do your business? That makes no sense whatsoever. But he's still seeking answers from God. But when we seek answers from God, we have to understand that we're not always going to receive the anticipated response. Mr. Templeton in his life did not receive the responses he anticipated, and therefore he, he couldn't handle it. But in these moments, ultimately, you're not always going to understand, but you ultimately have to trust God's sovereignty and understand that his plan is greater than our own. Habakkuk grapples with the Lord's plan wrestling with the dilemma on just how a just God, a righteous God, could use a wicked nation as an instrument of discipline. He's questioning God's ways, but he's also really, he's questioning them, but he's trying to seek understanding and a resolution. He's not challenging God like, that's stupid. He's like, I didn't expect that. Can you explain? Can you help me to understand? See, we're going to face situations in our faith in our life, I should say, that will shake our faith and could leave us in a profound sense of confusion. The question is, what do you do when that time happens? For some, I've seen it, they leave the faith. They can't handle the answer. They don't want the answer. They want what they want, when they want, how they want, and when it doesn't happen that way, see you later. Habakkuk wanted God to do something, but he didn't want him to do that. And Habakkuk could have said, heck with this, I'm not dealing with you anymore. He may, we may wonder why God permits certain actions and allows evil to exist, but yet God, in these moments, we can find our solace knowing that he knows what's going on. He invites us to bring our doubts and our fears, the song that we sing the way. Bring your doubts and fears, because we have a big God who can handle big questions. Habakkuk teaches us that even in our dilemma, we can maintain an honest and an open relationship with God. That's exactly what he does. He's going at God, asking questions. Perplexed, confused, in a dilemma, but he's still going to God. As we conclude chapter 1, it's, it's, it's critical for us to recognize that Habakkuk remains engaged in this continuous dialogue with God. 
when Habakkuk doesn't get the answer he wants, and he thinks he wants, he doesn't just tune God out and say, well, I don't get this. Despite his frustration and his questions, he doesn't turn away from God in anger and despair. This serves as an important lesson for us also when we're approaching God. In our times of doubt or disagreement, it's easy to question whether God cares or even understands our dilemmas. But as God explains to Habakkuk, I do, and I have a plan. We have to resist the temptation of distancing ourselves from God when it doesn't come down the way we want it. Habakkuk's example teaches us that we can bring our questions and our doubts to God for an honest, excuse me, and our honest inquiries to him because they don't threaten him. Big God can handle big questions. As a matter of fact, God invites us because God didn't tell Habakkuk, shut up, dude, it's none of your business. Just go with the flow. God answers him. And he invites us to wrestle with him, engage with him. And through this whole book, that's what Habakkuk's doing. We see this a bit in Job. When, no, excuse me, with Job with, uh, with, uh, yeah, Job with Job when he's talking with God. But in the midst of our questioning, we always need to remain humble and remember that God is the ultimate potter and we're the clay. We can seek understanding and express our desires, but ultimately our call is to submit our will to his will. And if we're not willing to do that, we're going to have trouble. In wrestling with God, we have to also make sure that our heart is open to inspection. We should not only bring our questions to God, but we should also invite God to search our hearts and reveal any areas that are in conflict with his will and his way. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, it says this beautifully, "'Search me, O God, know my heart. "'Test me and know my anxious thoughts.'" See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that should be our approach to God. Our faith journey is going to encounter, it's going to encounter dilemmas and uncertainties that challenge our trust in God. However, by following Habakkuk's example, we can bring our questions, we can bring our questions to God and we can, we can receive answers from him as we seek guidance, wisdom, and comfort. May we be inspired by Habakkuk's example to continue to seek God's presence even when we're faced with life's troubles and dilemmas. Our praise team this morning is going to come and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we give you that opportunity to do this this morning. You know, we have a God in heaven who loves us. When I was growing up, my impression of God was that he did not love me, that he was just waiting to punish me because I deserved it. I was a kind of a not, a, not a, not a great kid all the time. But that's what I thought. I was afraid of God. But God didn't send his son to die on the cross so I could be afraid of him. He sent his son to die on the cross so that I could have eternal life through him. That's how much he loves you. And no matter what the world's telling you, no matter what's beating on your mind right now, no matter what you're struggling with, God loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. He wants to bring you peace, comfort, and joy and give you eternal life. He doesn't want you to live in guilt and shame. He wants to wash away your sins and your guilt in the the baptismal waters. If you need that this morning, we give you that opportunity. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling and you need prayer, if you want to come forward this morning, I'd be glad to pray with you. But this time, let's sing this song of decision that talks about what he's done. If you have a decision, we invite you to come forward this morning.
This morning, Scott and Nikki Meinhart come to us. They've been worshiping with us for a while, and, and they have decided they want to place membership at First Christian. They come to us as immersed believers. So I'm going to ask them, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. Amen. And based on your confession of faith and your immersed believers, we welcome you to the First Christian family. and glad, to, glad that you decided to join with us. During this time in our service, it's our communion time. And during our time of communion, we reflect on, as the front of the table says, do this in remembrance of me. This is all about Jesus, but it's all about us too in the sense that we are acknowledging a lot of things during this time. We're saying when we take this time of communion, we know that the bread represents his body that was broken and that the cup represents the blood that was shed on the cross for us. But Jesus did all these things, so do this in remembrance of me. We are remembering him. We're remembering what he did. But it's also about us in the sense that we're saying, you know, when I take this, I believe that everything that I know about him happened. And I believe that the things that he did, he did them because he loved me. I know, I believe that when he did these things because he loves me, that the Father loved me and sent his son to do this as that perfect sacrifice. And I also believe in the promise that says, lo, I'll be with you always till the end of the age. And then I'm coming back again to bring you with me. We believe those things. When we take this communion, we're remembering not just the death, burial, and the resurrection, but we're believing what Jesus taught, what Jesus said, and what Jesus promised. And that's a joyous time. And the, communion, the word communion literally means we're joining together. And we're doing this in unison together, and we're joining ourselves with, with, with the Lord that we belong to. And so when you take your communion this morning, Make sure your thoughts are on him and what he's done, as our song said, but also make sure that your thoughts on, are set on what you're going to do in response to what he's done. And that's what it's all about. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for what he's done, and we're glad we could sing about it, and we're so blessed by it. And without what he's done, we have nothing. And Father, you know, the Apostle Paul said that without the resurrection, we're fools for believing something that wasn't true. That even the dead, that the, dead and the dead are still dead and separated from God. But because of what he's done, we can have eternal life. And we acknowledge that during this time of communion. Lord, as we look into our hearts, as we take this time of communion, we open our hearts to you for examination. We're not looking for condemnation. We do a good enough job of that ourselves. But examine our hearts. Search my heart, Lord, and find where I need to make corrections. Lord, we thank you for what he's done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
inside of your bulletin, you have our announcements for the week. For those who can go, we got Young at Heart on Monday. All of Jerry's groups are meeting this evening. Roger's group's meeting. Um, we have our studies on Wednesday. Um, Lori, Lori's getting ready to start her Wednesday evening Bible study on September 6th, so make sure you sign up for that. We're still needing empty rectangular Kleenex boxes for some craft things that, uh, that Jan does. Also, there's an announcement about there. Larry and Brenda Beeler are looking to try to maybe get a group together to go to uh, Israel sometime in the next couple years. And Peach's Pantry has a location, and they moved into there, and we're so thankful for that. And Operation Christmas Child's looking for school supplies, uh, and, and you can read the announcement about that. Um, we, uh, I'm trying to think, we had a really good turnout to primetime. We had like 34 people come to Bright Spot. And it was really good. Uh, they were so busy that night. It took a while to get things going, but they did a great job, and we'll definitely go back there again. So in the back of your bulletin, we have our prayer concerns and prayers of celebration. We actually take note of those. Uh, like I said, our big praise was for Peach's Pantry. We're glad that they got a location. We have a lot of people we've been praying for with health issues and, and people who are, who are currently deployed. We have our shut-ins we're praying for for Peach's Pantry, and we're also praying for Southern Mexico Mission. So we ask that you lift those up in your prayers this week as you take your bulletins home. At this time, let's stand together and we'll go to the Lord in prayer and the band will give us a little song to, to, to leave out on. Let's pray. Lord, we're so blessed that we can come together today. We thank you for that blessing. I pray that as we live life this week, Lord, we're going to get hit with some doubts and fears. I pray we bring them to you, that we trust you. We know that you're a big God who can handle big questions. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.